Aldous Huxley was an English writer and philosopher. He wrote nearly 50 books. And here's his quote about history. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Welcome to the History Slices Podcast. A mother-son duo discussing awesome bits of history. We prove on every show that history is not boring. Entertaining, yet stimulating. This is History Slices. And now, here's your hosts, Jacob and Rachel. Hey, Mom. Hi, Jacob. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, Feeling exuberant this afternoon? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, great to, it's great to sit down and record another one of these. Do you remember what we're talking about today? Yes, the Great Molasses Flood of 1919. Yes, correct. You remembered. Yes, you, I did. You you read the syllabus before we started, <laughs> did you? I'm that kind of student. What can I say? <laughs> uh, gold star. No. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about this because this is a crazy, fascinating story. Uh, it's really goofy, but a lot less goofy than it sounds. Uh, it do does you, sound pretty goofy, I must admit. Yeah. Have you heard anything about this before? Or I haven't. I don't know. I know what molasses is. <laughs> and sure. uh, I know it's really goopy and sticky. It is. Um, but no, I've never heard of it flooding before. So, okay. yeah. Well, this event, it's also known as the Boston Molasses Disaster and the Boston Molassacre, which I think is a funny oh name. Oh my gosh, uh, that's really crazy. So I've, I've actually known about this event for quite a while now. And I think it was elementary school. Let's say elementary school. In elementary school, there was a children's picture book that was about this event. Oh, no kidding. The whole book was about this event? Yes. Now, the Boston Molassacre? <laughs> now, I, I want you to, to keep that in mind as we talk about this that because they really book? dumbed it down a lot. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, because it's for kids. But they're like, I, I read this back in the day when I was a wee tot, and I was like, oh, what a quirky, funny thing. And then when I get older and read about this stuff and learn more about it, I'm like, oh, that's not quirky and funny at all. Oh, why did you make a children's book off this? Oh, no so, kidding. So yeah. it gets kind of serious? A little bit, yeah. Okay. But it, it, the event itself is kind of funny, but the effects of the event aren't as funny. Okay. So let's jump back 100 years, right? This happened January 15th, 1919. Wow, it is just a little more than 100 years ago. Yep. Uh, this is also, by the way, to put in some historical context, this is in the middle of the Spanish flu Right. Oh, so remember, this is like old time COVID is going on as wow. this is happening. So How just, relevant. Yeah. Keep that in mind. So obviously we're in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, specifically, we're in a North End neighborhood now. Keep, I've never been there. So sorry. that's fine. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that white sugar was a bit more expensive at the time than it is now. So molasses was a little more common. Um, mm. Also, in case people don't know, I think most people know what molasses is, but in case you don't know, it's a type of syrup. Mm-hmm. You crush sugar cane or sugar beets and it's really thick and sticky. Anyways, mm-hmm. people actually used it in a lot of stuff, not just putting on pancakes. You know, they put it in rum, they put it in candy, whatever, you know, like as a sweetener type of a right, thing. Right, right. And it was a lot more popular. They always seemed like an old fashioned kind of a thing to me. Uh, I mean, a lot of things seem old fashioned to me, but I <laughs> I was born in the 1990s, so yeah. I'm not the best person to. <laughs> I, I can only think of one recipe that I would use molasses in, and that's granola. So sure. it's not as popular for me. But anyway, yeah, I gotcha. Sorry. No, you're <laughs> all good. Sidetracked. So anyways, the First World War had broken out, right? And that led to an increase in the price of molasses. Hmm. And you might be wondering, why is that? 
well, it's because you can ferment molasses uh, into ethanol, which is used in gunpowder. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So its use got diverted to sure. support the war. Yeah. I got it. Which I know sounds very strange, but it was a very strange time for like everyone. So it whatever. makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. Enter the Purity Distilling Company. <laughs> they're a big company at the time, and they're like, oh, hey, we can make some fat stacks off this. Probably not their exact words, but whatever. <laughs> uh, let's stacks. build a giant tanker filled with molasses right by this densely populated area. Okay, now let's order 700,000 gallons of Cuban molasses. <laughs> 700,000 gallons, I'm trying to picture. My gosh, that's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. So they were they were hoping to turn this molasses into ethanol, or they were just thinking molasses is valuable now, so we'll just get some. Yeah, basically. Okay. Uh, and by the way, um, I know you've never been to North End, neither have I. That's fine. To give you like some context, this would put this big tanker they were planning not only right next to the harbor, but also right next to an elevated train track. Okay. Um, also, another thing to keep in mind is that the seven hundred thousand gallons of Cuban molasses. They had placed that order before they had finished building the the tank. Wow. Okay. Because so. they were all in anticipation. So they got this big shipment coming in. Mm-hmm. The tank's not built, so they're probably furiously building the tank. Yes. I, I guess they figure if they, if they had a nice tank, it doesn't really matter if it's next to people or elevated trains, right? Because it would sure. just hold it in there. Yeah. Now, let me try to explain. This tanker is massive. Let me try to explain how big it was. So 90 feet in diameter and 50 feet at height. Okay, 90 feet. Okay, so I'm just doing a little bit of calculation That's in my head. Fine. So a football field is 100 yards. So <laughs> 90 feet is like a third, almost a third of a football field. Okay, got it's it. It's very large. Yes. Uh, and at full capacity, it held 2.5 million gallons worth of molasses. Oh, my god! So this was stupid big. This was like borderline impractical big. Wow. Um, F- sorry. More math at full capacity. <laughs> you said two point how many? Uh, two point five. Two point five million. Gallons. But the shipment was only seven hundred gallons. Seven hundred thousand gallons. Yeah. Yeah. So still, it's only going to be like not even half full, like mm-hmm. a third of the way full. Okay, gotcha. All yeah, right. Yeah. I think I got the picture. Sure. So now I mentioned before how they had ordered seven hundred thousand gallons of the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, delays in construction caused quite the issue. Gosh, that sounds like today too. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously, if they didn't have the tank built by the time all the molasses arrived, it would have to be dumped probably in the harbor. Oh no! Which would have been a, a nightmare, both Gosh. from a ecological standpoint, but also just from a clean up people live here standpoint, and and economical because this is molasses yeah. they've paid for. Yeah, luckily they had built it just in time for uh, nineteen fifty New Year's Eve nineteen fifteen, which was when the shipment was arriving. The reason why I'm bringing this near miss up, other than kind of setting the stage for what happens later okay uh is that there was no time to check the tanker for leaks or to see if it was structurally sound or anything like that okay so the near miss being the tank was almost not completed in time for the shipment to arrive yes okay so they couldn't just in the nick of time yeah but they couldn't like check it for like is this actually stable oh gosh so they built it seven hundred thousand gallons worth of cumin molasses got dumped in and let me tell you what, it leaked. <laughs> it leaked enough that locals would walk up with containers and take some of the molasses that was oh. seeping out of it. <laughs> you know, that, got a little nice side business that, going well, on. That's how bad it was that it was like it was a leaking thing. that bad. Wow. Yeah. Now, to fix the problem. And by problem, I don't mean the links, I mean the theft. Uh, oh, my that's gosh. That's what the company was worried about. The company painted the whole thing brown so you couldn't really tell where the leaks were. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> molasses is brown, you yeah. know, naturally. 
Yes, really, they did that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe the paint helped the leaks a little bit, but I don't think that was the main concern. No, gosh, it um, seems like it seems like at that point somebody should have been thinking a little ahead, like solving the problem instead of painting over it. Oh yeah. my gosh. I feel like there are better ways to do that, but I'm not a turn of the century businessman, so I don't. What do I know? Yeah. Right? Now, the leaks weren't the only problem with this tanker, by the way. It audibly groaned from keeping oh, in, like, the molasses. gosh. Yeah, and just the whole thing is just wasn't structurally sad. It wasn't, it wasn't great. <laughs> so, cut to January 12th, 1919, where a few days before the flood, <laughs> the Milero, I don't know, it's a sip. It had 1.3 million gallons of molasses. It pulled up near the tank and started filling it up, started like unloading. Okay, this was in 1919? Yes. So it's adding to the original. Yes. Okay. It started pumping 600,000 gallons into the tank. Okay. This took all day, took all night. It was a while. And they finally finished up by the next morning. Wow. Now, not to get into chemistry or anything like that, but the molasses had been sitting there already. Uh, it was pretty chill, you know, it wasn't warm or hot anymore because it's just been this tinker for a while now. Okay, so it was just air temperature. Yeah, this is January, remember. Oh, so it was probably pretty cool. Yeah, the okay. winter was still kind of around. It had, you know, been leaving. Probably this pretty week. cold in Boston yeah. that time of year. Now, this new batch that got, just got poured in, it was still warm. It was still hot. Oh. So fermentation starts to happen. Gas starts to form. So by the time the Malero had like left, had set sail, like, see ya, bye, we, we, we did our go. job. Uh, the tank had 14,000 tons. So it was basically full almost mm. at that point. Cut to doomsday. Oh, no. <laughs> well, not really, but you know what I mean. Uh, so it's January 15th, uh, which is when it hits the fan. It was actually funny enough. Uh, if you were to start out that day, then you wouldn't really think anything was amiss. It was actually kind of a warmer day than Boston had been experiencing at the time. It's around 40 degrees or so. Uh, people were out and about. They're having lunch, you know, picnics, whatever. And around 1230, it happened. There's a loud rumbling and then a hail of rivets sought out of the tank, oh sounding like gosh. machine gunfire. And then the whole thing just collapsed. Oh, my gosh. What a sight. Mm -hmm. are, are there, do you know if there's any video? I, I mean... I imagine the chances of having any video, that would be pretty small. Uh, and not that I found. There was oh a bunch gosh. of like photos, but. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So. Did any, did anybody die because of. Uh, well, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, of, of, of the, the rivets? rivets. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But. Okay. Uh, so let me. <laughs> now, molasses, as you know, is very slow. Mm -hmm. But like when there's a massive 15 foot wave of it. It's not as slow. Yeah, um, for sure. It was, uh, again, 15 feet. It was 160 feet wide. It swept through the whole neighborhood at 35 miles per hour. Oh, my wrecked gosh. Pretty much everything. Uh, buildings, it's, almost, it, it's almost like a lava flow. Almost, yeah. Buildings got knocked over. Basements got filled. The train track that I, I mentioned earlier, the elevated one, it just collapsed. It barely <sighs> missed a train, by the way. Like, the trains just went by, and then, like, the, the thing collapse oh behind my it gosh. just pure pandemonium now a lot of this description by the way just to you know cite myself uh it comes from the boston post at the time okay i'll spare you all the details but it was pretty gruesome like more so than i think a newspaper probably sort of <laughs> really like too much detail about well they were a bit like um not poetic, but they were kind of flowery and how they were. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that's a weird way for a newspaper to describe this at the time, but okay. Huh. Uh, 21 people died 
not counting animals. And believe me, there were a lot of animals that wow, died as well. 21 people in mm-hmm. like pretty quickly, I guess. How long did it take for the, do you know how long it took for the, from the time it exploded till it stopped? I'm not sure. Um, not that long. I don't think yeah. it was relatively quick. 21 people died and 150 people were injured. Just to kind of wow. put that in context. Wow. Uh, which tends to be how it is with these type of things, that there tends to be more injuries than deaths. Thankfully. If you just compare them. Yeah. But yeah. A lot of the danger was suffocation, you know? Like, if you got trapped in the molasses, <sighs> uh, th- there was so, so much molasses. Like, an ungodly amount of molasses. People would get on their face and their hands, and they try to get off their face, but it just ended up sticking their hands to their face. It was just, it was too much. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. You know, uh, people, like police and, and whatnot, they kept trying to rescue people, but they couldn't because molasses was, like, knee-deep, and they couldn't traverse it. So they ended up getting stuck in the molasses as well. It was It was crazy. This book I read was for like second graders. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How in the world did they portray that? Uh, uh it basically, uh, <laughs> the book, it was basically like this uh, kid comes home to his mom covered in molasses. And the mom's like, did you uh, dunk your dunk yourself into like Mrs. Jones molasses barrel again? How dare you? You know, spank, go to ru- your room. And then a dad comes home covered in molasses. And he's like, you won't believe what happened. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the mom's like, oh, whoops, silly sitcom music plays. And it's like, why? <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Um, wow. I mean, I can see, you know, in in. Uh, an effort to educate a child I about guess, history about this random event. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. Totally not the same, obviously. But um, you know who Tommy DePaula is? Uh, remind me. He is a an author of children's books, okay. and he wrote a Streganona and um, other lots of other children's books. But Streganona is the the title I'm remembering. And I think in that book. I'm not going to remember the story exactly, but um, there's like this magic bowl that makes spaghetti. Yeah. And um, this other guy's not supposed to use the bowl to make spaghetti, only Stregonona or something. And forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Sure. Somebody out there knows the story. Anyway, something happens, something goes awry, and there's spaghetti just like continually being produced. Yeah. And it, it escapes the bowl, escapes the house, and it goes down the hill and towards this town. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of this molasses flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah, maybe I'm just thinking of this. I don't know. Uh, so another problem that had come out, you know, once the molasses stopped flowing and people are like, holy crap. What just happened? Let's, yeah, uh, let's, let's, let's assess what's going on. People were uh, so covered in molasses, you know, people got out of it that it was hard to identify who was who, you know? Gosh. Luckily, now luckily, despite all, all everything that I just mentioned, a bunch of people were saved in time. Like it could have been a lot worse. A lot of people managed to get out of the way. And it know. sounds like for going 35 miles an hour, 165 feet wide, I think you said. Yeah, something like that's, that. That's incredible. Wow. 160 feet wide. And with yeah. buildings coming down and the train coming down. It was a biblical level event, basically. Wow. For, yeah. uh, My gosh. For North End. The Boston Globe, they. they Specifically, they think the women of the local Red Cross chapter because they had a really quick response to all this. Go Red Cross. Right. <laughs> yeah, they they seem to be on the spot. You know, they do a lot of good. Yeah, they do. Totally. So now dust has settled, right? They're like, OK, that dust was dust has settled. That okay. was wild. That was cra- <laughs> that was a crazy afternoon. <laughs> so uh, 
began thus began the massive task of cleaning up this huge gargantuan mess. I can't even imagine. Where do you begin? I mean, you can't like take a washcloth to it because where are you going to rinse off your washcloth to yeah. go back and wipe the next inch up? Now, remember, this happened in North End in Boston. Well, it wasn't long before the entire city of Boston had molasses in it because uh. people who had on their clothes would be going, traveling around and moving around and stuff. And obviously North End was the epicenter of that. But it, you'd be seeing like just molasses just all over the place. Oh, my basically. gosh. Working its way into all the different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh. Before I go on, I'm curious. Do you have any ideas of how they they cleaned it up? Oh, good question. Let me see. If I was living back in 1919 and I had this problem to solve, um, I think I would turn on the fire hydrants and use fire trucks to try to wash things off and wash it down the drain. Well, basically, yeah, they uh, they hosed it down. Ah. Um, so you're not doing it out wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm they, a time traveler. Yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> I explained a few things. Uh, they washed it out to sea. They the roads are very sticky, so they covered it with sand, you know, to try mm, to uh, absorb it. This took eighty seven thousand worker hours, and for two and a half months, the Boston Harbor was brown. Uh, wow, which is gross. Wow, it is. <laughs> yeah, and what the, a it. <laughs> What an impact, though, on the environment. Mm-hmm. It's like it reminds me again. And I'm sorry. My contribution is I'm making connections. All no, the it's fine. <laughs> connections are good. That's how it well, goes. I'm just thinking about the ice storm that we had back in February that caused us to miss uh, a week's episode. Yeah. Um, and how it it's there's still evidence of that cleanup going on around us. And we're this far into it. And that ice storm was a, a matter of, you know, I mean, it was a short period of time with a with a long spell afterwards of cleanup so just sort of a parallel i guess between something that can happen so quickly be so devastating but have such lasting effect sir sir the smell by the way lasted for like years afterwards um because that's harder to clean out that's crazy that is a crazy amount of molasses yeah so obviously like people are upset (laughs) they're mad and the people that um are that are held responsible is big sock you know uh drum roll purity distilling company Mm -hmm. uh which at the time but by the time that like this had happened they actually had been bought by the united states industrial alcohol company in 1917 Um, okay so after so it was built in 1915 and filled up partially then it was purchased and then Okay. Yeah. It, it basically, there is some company just yeah. changing hands. Stuff that happens all the time. Yeah. But uh, 119 Boston residents sued uh, the um, alcohol company in a class action lawsuit. Now, uh, the company, they tried to weasel their way out of it. They're like, oh, anarchists blew up the tank. But oh, wow. No one, no one bought that because it was clearly not what happened. Wow. Um, and funny enough, this was actually one of the first class action lawsuits in the state of Massachusetts and has historical significance in itself because it helped lead the way for later like corporate regulations. Oh, wow. As in like you can't you can't do stuff like this. Yeah. And try to blame it on anarchists. <laughs> well, well, not just that, but also like make sure if you're going to like. Build a giant taker full of molasses, make sure that it's not just going to collapse. Right, Um, right. So putting some uh, accountability and responsibility on the corporation itself. Yeah, and also know how molasses works and how you don't (laughs) mix, like, thousands of tons of warm molasses with thousands of tons of, like, cold molasses. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, obviously it extends beyond molasses, too, into other areas. Yeah, but, you know, it's just, like, have responsibility, know what you're doing. 
that right, type of stuff. Right. This whole legal drama, it lasted like three years of hearings. Uh, USIA, which is the United States Industrial Alcohol Company. Mm. Oh, I guess it's UI, USIAC. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. The, the alcohol company, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, they were found responsible and they had to pay uh, $628,000, which in today's money would be $9,037 million or so. Wow. To uh, the families that were... In the class action lawsuit, well, I guess, or the people? I, it might have been to the state of Boston, but like the relatives of the victims got around $7,000 per victim, Oh, uh, which today would be like around 140000 or wow. so. So, you well, know, I think it might have just been kind of spread around. It's kind of nice that they got held accountable for that. Yeah, no, definitely. Sure. Today, there is a historical marker on the site. Uh, mm. A few years ago, we passed the 100th year anniversary, obviously, and they had a big ceremony there to kind of honor the victims and, like, um, remember this right. crazy, crazy January afternoon when the neighborhood got flooded by molasses. That is so nuts. Uh, and uh, they did not rebuild the tank. <laughs> they didn't. They just let it. Uh, no, they're just like, oh, this was a, a wasp. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask, too, is if um, there was still, like, what happened to the company? Did they continue to do business in molasses? Or? <laughs> I mean, I think that they um, they continued on. I didn't do too much research, but I imagine that because they're an alcohol company, they probably got hit with prohibition and stuff right when not that too long up. after yeah yeah would be my guess <laughs> but yeah i wanted to talk about this event it's not like the most crazy in-depth lawn event uh but i thought it was really interesting i thought it was like something that not a lot of people know about especially if i you certainly hadn't heard about it don't live in boston yeah. i guess and aren't too familiar with history and yeah, it's just uh, it's just funny to me how like not to get all on soapbox or anything like that, but how like a lot of things you take for granted in terms of like how to conduct yourself and your business and uh-huh. who you know your whatever it is, uh, a lot of that was learned the hard way. Like rarely in history, it seems like was did anyone have like the common sense beforehand to like hey we should probably put this until something like, happens wet sign uh, a red floor sign here you know no it always has to wait until someone falls and then they're like oh okay we'll put up a sign yeah it also like. also kind of brings to light you know we the products that we get into our kitchen we just yeah. have a jar of molasses or a stick of butter or something but as consumers we don't often think about the process it takes to get there and that it could potentially be dangerous, like like that big vat of molasses. I mean, trying to think what else what else might be dangerous. I mean, you just never know the processes that yeah. that it takes to get there. Well, it's funny to me because on its own, molasses isn't dangerous. Unless I guess you like choke on it or whatever. But <laughs> generally speaking, yeah, you wouldn't think that it'd be dangerous. Generally speaking, yeah, it, it, it's is this syrup. You know, at the end of the day, it's just some syrup you put on like a toast or whatever yeah. and you're good. Uh, but because there was so much of it. Um, Do you know what it tastes like? Have you tasted it in isolation before? Um, I'm not sure. Actually, I, I was about to say, yeah, obviously. But then I thought, well, there's probably some sugar or sweetener in it when I had it. But yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure. It's uh, kind of a, a dark, smoky kind of um, burnt almost yeah. kind, of, kind of tasting. It's not. 
It's not uh, my preferred syrup, of course. No, but. of course. Well, it's definitely not mine because I'm a sugar addict. But. Oh, yeah, I'm a sugar addict. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a joke about molasses. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is it the one with the moles? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's probably not appropriate to tell. So Probably not. I bet you can find it online, though, if you somebody was interested. You can probably figure it out just from the context clues. There you this, go, there but, you go, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's like a joke I knew when I was 10 years old. Sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jacob, that was really fascinating. Yeah. Really, oh, here's a good one. It was kind of bittersweet. <laughs> <laughs> but because, um, it, cause, <laughs> because it, you know, people got hurt. Obviously, but, yeah. But then the flip side of that is a, sort of a comical, strange mm-hmm. situation. So you, on one hand, you kind of want to laugh at it. On the other hand, you, you, do, you don't because mm-hmm. that would be disrespectful to the people who got killed or uh, hurt. I think that is kind of the general attitude people have towards it. Like, that is absurd that that happened. But at the same time, you know, there are some deaths, so it isn't, you know, in the best taste to make jokes about it. But at the same time, we're going to call it the molassacre. So, like, I don't, like, I I think it's just one of those things where it happened long enough ago that people don't really, aren't too offended by it. But at the same time, it was a serious thing. What a way to go, though. Can you imagine? Oh. Like, most people are like, oh, you know, uh, it was uh, old age or a skydiving accident or lions or whatever. But rarely is it, yeah, I suffocated in like a, a, a flood of molasses. Yeah, very <laughs> odd, very odd. And I don't like to think about ways to go because then I start picturing what it would be like to suffocate in molasses. That sounds horrific. Yeah. Just think of all the horses that were there too. There's like, like I said, there's a lot of animals. Yeah. That oh, in 1919. Yeah. My mm-hmm. goodness. Okay. Well, gosh, great job, Jacob. That was a, <laughs> that was a, uh, like a thin slice. Yeah. It was a yeah. thin slice. Uh, With cheese only on top. Yeah. It's <laughs> pizza covered in molasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next one's going to be a little longer. I'm happy to say, not that I intensely made this one short. Is just, you know, there's only so much you can talk about it. Yeah. We're talking about a, uh, an individual next time. And it's one not uh, many people here in the West know about because he's Japanese. <laughs> His name is Yosie Sertori. And he is uh, a folk hero in Japan. Huh. A uh, real person? He's or? a real person, okay. though a lot of his deeds are kind of myth- mythicized, which doesn't do me any favors in researching, but whatever. Yeah. Kind of uh, like King Arthur, maybe? He's an escape artist. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so cool. I can't wait to find out, like, when... And who his contemporaries were. And <laughs> he's a little more recent than you're thinking. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, if you're thinking King Arthur, he's more recent than that. No, no, I was actually thinking about um, uh, who's who's the main escape artist that I'm thinking of that everybody knows. Uh, Harry Houdini? Yeah, yeah, Houdini. Uh, so wasn't a, he like in the, in the early that. 20th century, he 1930s? Like, I was going to say, he was 40s. like around World War II. Okay. Ah, mm-hmm. Very cool. But we're going to talk about him. Really excited because there's, a, there's some crazy stuff going on there, like won't believe you know <laughs> but we'll get to that next time thank you for listening audience uh, i hope you enjoyed today's episode uh-huh i sure did jacob thanks so much for bringing that to us and audience thanks for listening we'll see you next time bye confucius once said study the past if you would define the future you've been listening to the history slices podcast with jacob and rachel We hope you've gotten some useful information from the show. We hope we made you think, and we hope you were entertained. We know we had fun, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook at History Slices and on Instagram at History Slices Podcast.
Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And tell a friend about the show. That'll help us out, too. One more quote before we go from Michael Crichton. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. Till next time, this is History Slices, signing off. 